Thank you so much. It is an absolute joy to be with you. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Uh, thank you for the invitation to be part of the journey of your church, which is absolutely wonderful. We had such a, a good time in the first service. Can I just thank the band? They've been brilliant today. I think they've led us in great worship. <laughs> wonderful. I, I've had the privilege of two goes at that, so that's been great. Uh, and I just love to worship together. It's much, as you say, it is much better in person, right? Uh, and so it's wonderful to be with you. So thank you for the invitation. Thank you uh, for being part of your journey. And thank you for the privilege of being able to finish this amazing series. If you've missed any of it, it's all online and it's all free. That's just amazing. Come on, it's better than that. It's free. Um, it's good. And, and I've been following that with you so, so, so that I was sort of not going off on the wrong direction, just making sure I was staying within the tram lines of uh, what you wanted to teach within this. I've been listening to and been so blessed by the various contributors within that. So hopefully, hopefully this will be a blessing too as we land it together. So I'm going to uh, uh, read the passage again. Now, I know we've had different versions of the Lord's Prayer uh, given to us, but I, I do want to take the time to put it in its context, if that's okay. So if you've got a Bible and you'd like to grab that, uh, uh, whatever version you've got your Bible in, whether it's on your phone or your tablet or, or like paper, paper uh, like mine, then why don't you grab it right now and follow it with me. And what's really important for us to remember, although we've been spending, this will be the eighth week in this amazing prayer, we have to remember that this prayer has a context. Jesus is speaking to a massive group of people, many of them who have made a decision to follow him. Some of them are having a bit of a look. You know, we, we like what we see, we like what we hear, and maybe are thinking of following him. And in this massive sermon, what we sometimes refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, which begins at Matthew chapter 5, right at the beginning, and runs right through to the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is really unpacking what the kingdom of God looks like. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to see a representation of his kingdom on earth here and now? And, and so this prayer forms part of that discourse. And sometimes when we're zeroing in to get the real meat out of it, we, we can forget it's part of a big dialogue. And we need to understand that Jesus is saying some big things that really find some focus and sharpness even in this prayer. So that's why it's always worthwhile uh, sort of reading the little passage around it. So we'll pick it up from verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, and it says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. <laughs> Gotta love Jesus, right? Um, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that beautiful? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some manuscripts have for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Jesus concludes this little mini section on prayer by these words. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. Okay, everybody breathe. It's fine. Jesus, when it comes to prayer, is intensely practical. And I really love this. He doesn't just say to us, doesn't just say to that massive crowd listening to him, hey, you need to pray. But he actually helps us with some of the practical detail. He expects us to pray. In fact, did you notice in the passage twice the beautiful little expression, when you pray? Notice that? He didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. And I love that. Jesus expected those who were going to engage with him and engage with the kingdom of God to pray. But he helps us in this passage by showing us where we should pray. So, in other words, not to be seen in a, in a sort of a self uh, grandiazing sort of way so that people can see how spiritual you are. He helps us with the idea of not only uh, where to pray, but how long to pray. And in fact, the prayer he teaches us is quite short, which is good news for some of us, right? It's, it's quite short. But he also then teaches us what to pray. And I love that. I love that. And this magnificent prayer really is a guide text for all of us who are serious about following Jesus. In fact, if you look at the equivalent passage in Luke from the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus teaches about prayer because his disciples say to him, teach us to pray. So they saw something in Jesus. They saw something in the way he prayed and the way he engaged with his father that was so attractive to them and it seemed so different to them even though they were raised in a praying culture as Jewish men and women, that they asked Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. And so this prayer is, is a teaching directive to each one of us that we can both hold as a whole. In other words, if you're stuck on what to pray, pray that. If you're thinking about, well, I can't think of anything to pray this morning, then, then use this as your guide text and literally just pray it through. Pray it slowly. Pray it openly. Pray it sensitively. Pray it with faith in your heart. It stands alone as a magnificent prayer. But as we've seen in this series, which is really cool, we've seen the fact that actually every single facet of this prayer can become a framework of guidance in how to pray in even a wider or a deeper level. You can take the literal words, our Father in heaven, uh, and pray that, and that's wonderful. Um, but we can also lean into the idea of, of bringing worship and praise and adoration to our Father. And so we can build a framework of worship in our prayer because we're encouraged to pray our Father who's in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And so this is a standalone prayer that if we're stuck on what to say, this will help, but also this can form a framework of how to expand our prayer life. It can literally become the guidelines for everything that we need. And it's my privilege this morning 
I think. Uh, I'll finish this off with the phrase, the final phrase, but deliver us from evil. Now, the, the eagle-eyed among you and the sharp-eared among you may have noticed that my version that I read, which is from the ESV and the one that was on the screen, there's a re- really interesting but powerful difference. In the one on the screen, it said, but deliver us from the evil one. Did you notice that? Maybe that's the way you've learned it. That's the way you pray it. Yet in my version, it says, deliver us from evil. So which one's right? Is, are they both right? Or, or, or is, there, is there a preferred interpretation to that? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But, but here's the important thing. Two, two, two things that will help us to sort of lean into that. The first one is this, that when we think about being delivered from evil or evil one, we'll get to which one we're, we're going to look at. We can't separate it from the previous phrase. So even though we separated that out for emphasis, and rightly so, and it was brilliant, I was listening, I think it was Pastor Nick last week on that, I was listening to that, and it was absolutely fantastic. If you've missed it, you should listen to that. It was so good. We, we, we separated them out to give us emphasis, but actually they do run together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is a really helpful way of understanding what Jesus is driving at. In the first part, lead us not into temptation. The idea of of the way that word is constructed in in the language of the Bible is that it's saying, don't allow us to be led into something. It hasn't happened yet, but don't allow us to be led into it. And what's really fascinating, and I was reflecting on this as I was listening uh, to the sermon uh, online, was, was actually something that James says in his book to the believers. James says that when we are tempted, we are enticed and led away by our own desires. So temptation is not just an issue that's out there. Temptation is an issue that's in here. Now, that's an important idea for us to grasp in order to lean into the next bit. So, so um, I, I'm, I'm, there, there are some things that I really love and some things I really don't. And one of the things I really don't love, don't like at all, are Brussels sprouts. Okay? Any, any Brussels sprouts lovers in the room? Okay, I'm not quite sure why, but God bless you. Someone has to eat them. It feels like I'm in the majority of not really loving Brussels sprouts. Who's not really a lover of Brussels sprouts? Okay, great. Okay. Now, now, now listen, you could put a plate full of Brussels sprouts in front of me, and I would never be tempted to eat them. Now, suppose if I was absolutely starving and there was nothing else to eat, that would be a different conversation. But that's just, that's just think about life in the normal sense. You could put a mountain of Brussels sprouts in front of me, cooked deliciously and beautifully, and I still wouldn't be tempted to eat them. And the reason I'm not tempted is because I've no desire for them. You with me? So, my wife gets me to eat Brussels sprouts at Christmas because that's traditional, apparently. We have to do that sort of stuff. And so, and so she covers the Brussels sprouts in honey, wraps them in bacon. There's all sorts of marvelous innovation going on with Brussels sprouts in our house just to get me to put a few of them in my mouth once a year and uh, swallow quickly for Jesus. All right, we just get this done. Let's get this over with. Think of Jesus, get it done. All right. 
So, so I eat my Brussels sprouts, but, but the reality is I really do not like them. I have no desire for them. I never think about them. When they're on the plate, I'm asking, who put them there? Would, would anyone else like them? But if you put a plate of Ferrero Rocher in front of me, I mean, I'll fight you for those. We will, we will wrestle for those things. I, I love for, you know, those little small boxes of Ferrero Rocher, I'm not, I think there's about 16 or 20 in them. I could eat them all one sitting. Who's with me? Come on, I'm not the only sinner in the room. Come on, that's marvelous. Um, you're making me feel bad. I was thinking, I was thinking like I was a really bad sinner. Uh, and I, 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 I look, I'm, I might as well be hung for a sheep as for a lamb. So I'll confess now, I have eaten a whole box on my own. It, that is impressive. It is impressive or it's terrible. It's whatever way you, you think about that. Now, now the reason, the reason uh, that I will struggle to resist Ferrero Rocher is because I desire them. And that's, that's the challenge when we think about lead us not into temptation. It's the challenge of, Lord, now hear me, lead me away from the desires that are within me. Okay? When, when my youngest daughter comes home, she, she's at Bible college at the moment. When she comes home for a break, her mom stocks up the, 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 the cupboard. There's a particular cupboard in our house, and the crisps go in there, and, and the special bickies go in there, and some of the chocolates go in there. And, and of course, they're for my daughter. <laughs> okay. But, of course, the minute she stocks that cupboard, it's desire. My, now, I, I haven't thought about chocolate all week. I haven't thought about potato crisps. You know, I'm of a certain age as a man. I just look at a bag of crisps. Mm, it's on my belly. Or I look at chocolate, and somehow it makes me heavier. How does that work? Um, but when it's not in the house, I don't even think about it. The minute dawn puts it in that cupboard, Desire awakens and temptation comes. Well, John, we talked about temptation last week. Absolutely. And it's really important. We, we can't just jump to the next bit without remembering that bit. Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray not to be led into the area of your desire. But rather, pray, deliver us from evil. Now, Let's get to the second bit, because the, the way we do the second bit is going to really determine how we understand this bit of the prayer. So, some translations have, deliver us from the evil one. Your, your translation may have had that. Other translations have, deliver us from evil. Which one's right? Well, what happens sometimes is if we translate it literally, then it would literally read, deliver us from the evil. That's, that's how it would read. But sometimes the translators are trying to help us to understand, and they're not just translating a passage, they're interpreting the passage for us. And they may add things in to try and help us, and some of those additions sometimes are really helpful, and some of them are not. And in this case, I think, I'm going to suggest to you, this is really not helpful. Because when you think of the evil one, so as followers of Jesus in the room, when someone talks about the evil one, who do you think of? 
The devil. Okay, so we think of our adversary, our opponent. And so when we're praying, uh, but deliver us from the evil one, where's our focus going? Our focus is going to the evil one. Our focus is going away from ourselves, and we're praying that we'll be delivered from him. Is that fair? Is that okay? But, but actually, I, I want to suggest to you that that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not asking us to be delivered from the evil one, but he's asking us to pray to be delivered from evil. And, and where is that evil? What, what does that mean to me as a follower of Jesus? Well, what will help us is to see how Jesus uses the word evil in this brilliant sermon. Believe it or not, in this fantastic sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the word here that's used for evil in Matthew 6.13. He uses it, including Matthew 6.13, eight times in his sermon. Now, when, when someone is using a word that often in the same sermon, we should ask ourselves the question, how are they using it? Because how they are using it may suggest how we interpret this. Does that make sense to you? So, Jesus uses this word eight times, three before 6.13 and four after. And with your permission, really quickly, we're just going to go through each one and then we'll land this. Is that okay? So, the first reference to evil or bad, it could be translated bad or evil, is found for us um, in chapter 5, verse 37. And here's what it says. Jesus is speaking about making promises. And he says, all you need to say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from, now the NIV translates it, comes from the evil one. But it doesn't say that. It says comes from the evil or comes from evil. Okay, so the idea here is when you're making promises to people, you don't need to swear on, you know, special stuff. You don't need to sort of elaborate on, on what you're promising. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Everything else is you pushing this too far. It's you uh, speaking beyond the bounds of what you need to speak. Okay, the second reference is chapter 5, verse 39. You'll love this one. Uh, this is where Jesus is speaking to us about our, our attitude towards those who hurt or wound or offend us. And Jesus says this, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And that's a person here. Not, that's not the devil in this context, a person. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And everyone said, yeah, right, okay, I." Do you ever read bits of the Bible and think, I wish that wasn't there? <laughs> I certainly do. I'll be honest with you. The evil here in this context is associated with another person behaving badly. Are you with me so far? Third reference to evil is found for us in chapter 5, verse 45. And listen to this. So, so this, is, this is Jesus speaking about the actions of the Father to humanity. He says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he, that's your Father, makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Wow. And in this context, you're seeing then a good person contrasted to an evil person or a person who's doing or living bad. With me? So each of those three references are not to do with the devil. They're to do with my behavior, my attitudes, or the behavior or attitudes of other people. 
So that's how he's used it up to the point of 6.13, right? So let's look at how he uses it after 6.13 and see if the pattern continues. In chapter 6, verse 23, Jesus speaking about but generosity and trusting God with material well-being, he says these words, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? What? <laughs> okay, what's Jesus saying there? He's using a sort of a Jewish image here, Jewish idiom, which sort of speaks to this idea. If you were a generous person in the world of Jesus, they would describe you as having a good eye. It's a strange expression, but it's there. And if you were a stingy person, they would describe you as having a bad eye or an evil eye. You with me? So Jesus here is saying that when you are generous, you're demonstrating you've got a good eye, and when you are stingy or you hold on or pull back, you're demonstrating you've got a bad eye. So the bad eye here, the bad eye is the eye of lack of generosity. Chapter 7, verse 11, he says then, if you, speaking of us, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? So, he's using the same word, evil, of us. He's using that, not, not in the sort of absolute sense that, you're, that you and I are wicked or evil, but in comparison to His goodness. Okay? So he's saying, in comparison to the goodness of God, even our generous actions look like evil. With me? Last reference. I can tell you've had enough of evil, so I'll move on really, really quickly. But chapter 7, verse 17 and verse 18, sort of two references, but they're really one. And Jesus says this, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And the word bad there is the word Jesus used. It can be translated bad or evil in this context. John, what's your point? Please move on. Okay, the point is this, that sometimes we translate the prayer, deliver us from the evil one, but that is completely out of kilter with how Jesus has used the word the other seven times in the sermon. Jesus is not speaking about the evil one out there. Now, fasten your seatbelts. Are you ready? Jesus, rather, is challenging the evil in here. My greatest challenge as a follower of Jesus, I've been a follower of Jesus since I was eight years old, I'm now 55. My greatest single challenge in following Jesus is me. I am my biggest challenge. I live with me. I know what I think. I know how I am. You know, I can, I can with Pastor Nick, so let's do prayer and fasting on Wednesday. Pray and fast on Wednesday and then overeat on Thursday. You know, serve my neighbor brilliantly and then, and then be angry with my children on the same day. Speak in tongues on the M1, driving down to BCC. Someone cuts me up and I'm not speaking in tongues. <laughs> you with me? 
See, there is within us a tension and a challenge, and Jesus doesn't ignore this. That's why he brings this amazing climax to, this, to, this, to the prayer. He says, he says, don't lead us towards the desire into which we'll be tempted, but deliver us from the evil. Now, now if you're willing to work with me, he doesn't just mean evil in the absolute sense, in the, in the sense that everybody's really, really, really nasty or bad, but he means the sort of choices that are not good for us, they're not good for the Lord, they're not good for the world around us. And he's saying, pray that you will be delivered from the evil that resides within. What? <laughs> And I think that not only makes sense in the prayer, I think it makes sense in the sermon, right? If you look at the whole sermon, Jesus challenges people. He said something really strange at the beginning of the sermon. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom. Now, what, is earth, what on earth does Jesus mean by that? He means this. He says, when you look at the religious community, what they're brilliant at is doing really good stuff in public, they look good. They look great. And in fact, he picks up on some of that when he talks about giving and talks about praying and talks about fasting. He picks up on the fact that when they give, they blow trumpets, that when they pray, they stand on the corners, and when they fast, they put makeup on to let everybody know, oh, I'm fasting today. In other words, Jesus is saying, the religious community around you has a propensity to doing things that on the surface are right and acceptable, but inside, the inside of the world is not in line with that idea. As if to drive that point home, this is where it gets really uncomfortable. Jesus talks about things like murder, and He says, you've heard it said, do not murder. And everybody goes, yeah, 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 that's right, yeah, it's in the commandments. But then he says, but I say to you, if you're angry in your heart, Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Everybody goes, yeah, 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 it's in the commandments. But I say to you, if you lust, Wow. In other words, Jesus is leaning into something profoundly deep within our soul. That if we're going to take following Him seriously, it's not just about how we perform, how we look, but it's the attitude and the motivation that drives us. Now, can I say this? Can I be really vulnerable with you, carefully vulnerable with you? I've never been close to killing anybody. Like genuinely, I've never been close to taking anybody's life, but I have lost count of the amount of times I've been seriously angry with people. I think that's, that's what Jesus is driving at. Lead me not to that. Come on. I, 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 I've been married to my wife, 34 years coming up. She's the love of my life. I, I've never come close to committing physical adultery, but I've had thoughts that if they were put on that screen, you probably wouldn't let me preach here today. 
Now, I know I'm the only one in the room that's happened to, so just forgive me. Get over it, right? But, but we, th- that's the struggle. If, if you judge me on my physical record, I'm clean. I'm good. I rock. I'm a model follower of Jesus. But if you're prepared to go under the surface, well, and, and my, my greatest challenge person, and I think this is what Jesus is leaning into. He doesn't just want us to understand the kingdom of God as something physical on earth, like with real walls and, and real kings and real stuff. He's talking about something that invades the very core of our being that enters into the very depths of our soul, so that it's not just about, like my granny would have said, keeping your nose clean, being good in public. It is about allowing the kingdom to invade the very essence of my being and allowing that to influence the very things I think about and the way I think. And Jesus knows, Jesus knows that John Andrews is a broken human. Jesus knows that even though I can be speaking in tongues, love Jesus, read my Bible, doing all that, that I can still be galactically stupid. All in the same time. And that's why he says, John, pray to the Father. Deliver me from evil. Not just the evil out there. And what Pastor Nick did today, making us point east and praying for the evil and against the evil out there, we should continue to do that. There is biblical mandate to do that. But I think Jesus is not just saying, hey, don't just look out there. The evil's not just out there. He's saying, pray that you will be delivered from the stuff in here that will disrupt and destroy potentially what the Father wants to do in our lives. Does that make sense? So when you put those two things together, it's so cool. It's so wonderful. The Father isn't judging me for my desires. He's not judging me for my weakness. He's saying, I've given you an exit plan here. I've given you a way out. I've given you the means that actually call the Father into your desires and say, lead me away from my love of chocolate. Did I say that out loud? Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say something else. Lead me away. Lead me away from my desires. Don't allow me to be led into those things. Save me from the chocolate aisle at Tesco. But also, Lord, there is the propensity within me to do the things I should not do, to want things I should not want, to go after things that I know if I get them, if I get them, they'll hurt me, they'll hurt you, and they'll hurt us. And with the band, what, you, you guys coming to join me? And what I love about this is that the vulnerability of humanity is not hidden here in this prayer. It's put front and center. We're inviting the Father into our world, Father in heaven. We start lifting up our eyes to Him. We, We allow our minds to be transformed by a macro view of the glory and greatness and majesty of God in heaven. We say, Father in heaven, hallowed be our name. We come together on a Sunday night and we worship and we lift up our eyes and for a few glorious moments we forget how broken we are.
Amen? But then he slowly brings us from those glorious heights of heaven, and he brings us down layer by layer to the everyday reality of our lives. Let your kingdom come. Come where? Here. Kiev. Birmingham. My home. My office. Let your kingdom come where I live. Let your will be done where I live. And then he brings us down another layer. Oh, and, and by the way, can I, have, can I have enough bread today so that I'm not hungry? And Lord, Lord, will you help me to forgive the people who've hurt me and wounded me in the same way that I need your help to forgive them? And Lord, lead me away from my desires. Don't allow me to be led towards the things that will destroy me but deliver me from that evil so that I can honor you. This prayer in its glorious wholeness and in its magnificent line-by-line instruction is about inviting the Father into the center of everything. We, we started in our worship that beautiful picture of the child falling over and mom scooping the child up. And that's what this prayer is. This prayer says, Father, if I am left to my own devices, I am capable of doing really stupid things. Things that in the cold light of day, I think, why on earth did I do that? So, Father, I don't want to do those things that hurt you. I don't want to do those things that hurt me. I don't want to do those things that hurt my family. I don't want to do those things that hurt my community. Father, deliver me from evil. And this prayer is an invitation into our vulnerability, an invitation into our brokenness, an invitation into our weakness, an invitation into our humanness that can be amazing one minute and weird the next. And we invite him in, Father. And the Father wants to come into our world. Give us his love and mercy. Give us his grace and goodness because he wants his children to win. He wants you to win. He doesn't want desire to win. He doesn't want temptation to win. He doesn't want evil to win. He wants you to win. And through Jesus Christ, he has purchased everything. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has given us all the tools and the gifts so that we could win. But this prayer is a deliberate, intentional invitation. Father, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. But if you will come, then you will save me from the desires and the evil that I am capable of so that I can stand and say, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. Why don't you stand with me if you can? The band are going to lead us in a beautiful song. Before they do it, let me pray for you. This prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to 
pray is one of the most beautiful expressions of grace, of love, of mercy, of God's goodness to us. It shows us His magnificence and greatness while also bringing an understanding to our brokenness and vulnerability. And in the midst of it all, it is wrapped up with His relentless commitment to each one of us. That He will never leave us, He will never forsake us, He will never abandon the works of His hands. So Lord, Father, Father in heaven, your name is hallowed. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Father, give me, give us what we need today. Father, forgive us as we forgive. And Father, lead us not into temptation. But Father, deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Amen.